your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan, following yet another Everton defeat as they fall 1-2 at home to Southampton. That makes it four losses in a row at Goodison Park, the first time Everton have lost four in a row at home since 1958. First home Premier League loss to Southampton since 1997. Furthermore, the final dagger in the heart Three of Everton's last four home games have been against the side that was bottom of the Premier League going into the fixture. We've lost all four of those, and two of those, we were ahead. Things have really come to a boiling point with all the events this week. We'll talk about all of drama leading up to the match. We will get into the match, and we will talk about what the heck are we going to do to get out of this mess. Before we do, just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Please follow us on social media. At USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Gentlemen, shall we get into the recap? A lot of things happened this week. We've had a lot of fans uniting against the leadership of Everton Football Club. It started with the NS Now movement, a lot of groups getting on board there, basically just trying to get through to Farhad Moshiri, get our message across. This current state of the club is utterly unacceptable. And then we had the Everton Fans Forum send a formal letter to the majority shareholder and owner. Farhad responded with a letter that I think many, uh, well, it basically was a complete disaster in how it was received. Pretty much said, everything's we're doing everything we can. We've spent well. We've done all these other things. He then went on Talk Sport and said essentially the same. I put my money where my mouth is. I That's all an owner can do. Some really, really incriminating sound bites there. And basically has, has built up this kind of furor amongst the fan base ahead of what was supposed to be a sit-in protest after the Southampton match. We then had a couple of folks, including Dave from the County Road Bobblers and a few others, uh, resign from the fan advisory board just because of the frustrations. Um, and then... Shortly before kickoff, or this this morning, the news broke that the Everton Board of Directors were advised not to attend the match because of quote-unquote security concerns. There's reports floating around that Denise Barrett-Baxendale, Everton CEO, was put in a headlock and assaulted following the Brighton match. And then the board, of course, does not attend, though Kevin Thelwell was there. So tried to summarize that as succinctly as possible, gentlemen, but needless to say, things are not very good right now on and off the pitch for Everton Football Club, and I think there's a lot to unpack. I think we just kind of touch on it briefly here, and maybe it warrants a space or a more discussion-based episode later this week, but go to Alex first for your thoughts on the pre-match shenanigans, we'll call it. Yeah, I mean, I just question the entire, you know, PR approach from the club, but I guess that's you know, along the same lines of any other approach to the club in regards to whatever they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, to tie into the whole allegations of assault and the board not being present for the game, right? There was the uh, the sit-in that was executed, of course. It, it was a really unfortunate week to be a fan of Everton Football Club. I didn't really think I'd ever see us in a, in a state that we are. And without unpacking it too much, I think the most disturbing comment from Farhad in, in his communication with the fans was, stating that the fans have chosen the managers. You know, that was just absolutely shocking to me. What do you think, Ryan? It's hard to not. I mean, you need a 
just I could go on forever about this. Um, to try and keep it short, I just think his response is kind of missing the point. It didn't really say there is a plan. You know, what is the plan? I mean, you don't talk about that at all. Who created the plan? You know, and why does he have confidence that the plan is effective? I mean, I think the movement is asking for for questions, uh, for answers to questions from the owner about those things, not not just generalities. They're asking for action. And I think some things that are really shocking about it. I mean, a fan advisory board, the fact that jazz, first of all, stop trashing jazz. I mean, what, what is wrong with you people? Uh, you're not, it's not fair. The situation he's trying to help things by working through the fan advisory board to, to get to the club and communicate things, not a patsy for anyone. Stop that. Um, but I think the response there, when we found out that he, I mean, Bill had never met with that board. Like he had never met Bill Kenwright. It's pretty disappointing, I think. And I think just, just in general, some of the confused aspects of it that I'm a little stuck with is it's like, don't blame Frank, blame the board. Is still, I'm a little confused about that logic. I don't quite understand it. You could take action against a manager now. Um, but anyway, look, I mean, you're looking for action from Farhad Mashiri. I think the best outcome that could ever happen were for him to just let the football people make the decisions. And I think we've said that from day one. Because um, he's not selling anytime soon. Um, but boy, I, I don't know if this is really helping the performance on the pitch either. And I think that's... That's what I'm kind of undecided about, uh, although it's never intended to not be supportive of the players. It's funny how the focus has turned elsewhere. Yeah, I agree with what you both said. I mean, the it's especially with the PR disaster piece. I mean, you couldn't have handled things much worse. I don't really think there's a scenario in which the board comes out looking good. I don't think there's anything really that we could expect them to say. There's things they could say, but knowing how they've operated they're not going to say those things. They're not going to provide the level of transparency or engagement that fans are demanding and expect. Um, and, and there's nothing they can do to walk back the catastrophic decisions they've made over the last decades, going back that far for certain members of the board, uh, Bill. And the fans just want to feel like they are part of the club. And as as fans, we support the club through thick and thin. We always support the players on the pitch. And the fact that that would even be called into question, I think, was insulting to many and, and sort of stirred the pot. I think it's very clear specifically who the frustration and anger is directed towards. Um, and it feels like they're trying to deflect. You know, you get the classic, well, have you heard about this new stadium we're building? It's going to be amazing. Well, it's not going to be so amazing if we're in the championship in our last season in Goodison Park and then have to go into the championship with this shiny new stadium that kind of just makes it a lot less shiny for a lot of people. The the only thing personally that bothers me a bit is I, I still feel like there are times where um, there is a very vocal element with our fan base. And like most fan bases, that is very vocal, very loud and and pretty ignorant about a lot of things. Um, now, that being said, you don't have to listen to them. And that's what I don't understand. The, the only time the fans have ever chosen the manager, they've never chosen the manager. It's totally absurd to even suggest that is ridiculous. And the fans are amazing and deserve a lot better. I mean, that, that's the most important thing. Amen. You can argue that the fans were who wanted Frank Lampard. Well, that's not really what happened. The fact that you came up with the trio of choices, Duncan Ferguson, Vitor Pereira, and Frank Lampard shows just such gross incompetence on so many levels None of those guys should have even been interviewed. It's kind of absurd to even suggest that they would be is the issue. Um, but yeah, and then now, I mean, I see these shouts of Frank. We'll get in Frank's performance again where people are like, I just don't see anyone being able to come here and change this. What? Why? And and the only shouts, if the only managers you know are like Sean Dyche, like 
come on, man. I mean, this is a big, big world. A lot of people play this sport. There are a lot of good managers out there. There's not the greatest track record of, of English managers also in the Premier League. And to be clear, as an American, it's not like I'm advocating Jim Curtin to come from Philly Union and manage <laughs> Everton either. So, look, I mean, they're good American players. There aren't many real accomplished American managers either. But I just think there's there's been a lot of, I, I guess I'll say it this way, there have been a lot of bad decisions made by the club, especially in the last 24 months. I'd like to believe that we've been pretty impartial about those here in the American Toffee podcast. We've tried to be very objective. I think our track record is actually remarkably accurate. But what irritates me is the basis on which people argue with sometimes is really missing the point. And I think it it has prevented some element of unity out there as well. And I guess the last thing I'll say about it is all these mistakes have been happening. Why are we so mad now? And, and, And that is... Maybe we just didn't realize how bad it was. Uh, maybe the circumstance of the performance are bad. But that's another one that bothers me because I feel like the performances have been bad since about the first week. And uh, the performances are bad under Rafa to the underlying performances are. And I just I, I just um, even little things like the defense isn't the problem that I've been in, entangled with people on Twitter recently. Like it is like, how can you? And, and it's so one of me, many. Many it just problems. it personally frustrates me a little bit, and I think it's it's a little exhausting because I think I'm a little upset myself because I feel like people are giving me crap at times when I see stuff as pretty common sense. Um, and if others don't see it that way, you wonder why it's so difficult to be united as a fan base. And that upsets me because I think the fans, all they care about, number one, is that Everton is better. And, um, you know, I, I just... Sometimes I just wish I was just flat out ignorant about a lot of it, but I'm not. Well, just quickly, and this is turning into a long discussion, and I guess it's fine. If yeah, it does, it wasn't supposed to be, but 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 I think Ryan, to your point about why has it taken this long to for for people to be to finally have a united fan base who finally see like how how really bad it is, and I think that's where I've tweeted this, and we've had him on the show. I think Paul deserves a fair amount of credit for the level of criticism he he levied at the board and leadership of Everton for a long time now. And though some of his, you know, communication and methods may not have been perfect, he was critical at a time when people were kind of rejoicing at this renaissance of Everton under all this all this ownership and all this money was coming in. And people still rip him, by the way, which is if you really think about it, like seriously, you don't think at this point that guy has been doing this for the good? Do you think he enjoys doing I also don't think people realize this guy's background, how successful he is, how smart he is and how, how much of a blue he is, too. I think if people understood that, they maybe would treat him differently, but he doesn't brag or boast about that, you know? And he, he needs to be discreet. I get that. Um, that disappoints me that people are still, well, he's just after Bill. Well, I think objectively, even if he was after Bill, there's some pretty decent body work that says that maybe he's not the best chairman. All right, well, why don't we hop into uh, instant or maybe not-so-instant match reactions? Uh, I'll go first with Nick Weinstein. At Nick Weinstein 27, he said, just sad, man. Fans truly don't deserve this. I have to agree completely. That was kind of my opener, too. And I just I just feel sad for myself. Yeah, it's it's been it's been really painful. It's been har- putting in the hard yards as an Everton fan over the last 12 months or in longer. Um, I went with Sleazy Toffee from our Discord. I didn't go with a Twitter reaction today who said, when the players aren't good enough, the manager isn't good enough, and we don't have the money to make fixes, your back is really against the wall. And make no mistake, Everton's back's well and truly up against the wall after today. And I went with uh, with Griff, uh, Casey Griffin, at C underscore Griff 314. 
in isolation, this game count came down to us not taking our chances. More broadly, it's just a team that doesn't create a plan to utilize the strengths of its players. Wingbacks with no attacking quality, Mina Bench, Wobi Wright, DCL constantly out of position, Onana too high. And I know I'm trying to turn us into the game here. That's that's the transitional moment here, right? Um, but I think Casey hits the nail on the head, and I think this is some of my expre- my frustration that I was expressing earlier. This has been happening for a while. And I just I find it very interesting that so many people have given Frank so much room and and are so willing to blame other things rather than him. And I, I get it that he's a little bit likable in many ways. And I, I like the guy um, legendary player and whatnot. But I just this result today really shouldn't be all that surprising, honestly. Um, and and I think. It's it's been sad. so many people have not realized how lucky we've been before this point. Had they, I think there may have been more pressure than there was now, um, and maybe that is a fair critique of the fan base. But it's a pretty weak one anyway. I mean, you know, they're paying people on the football side to know these things, and ultimately, when you have no one that really understands modern football, that's above the manager because you've got this strange structure that's not that's doomed to failure. I mean, it can't work really. Um, calling someone a director of football and having them not really be that. And then no one overseeing them that really understand the football, you just get these suboptimal um, results. And today, I think, was just a dichotomy. or Today was just an example of what's been happening for, forever. I, I don't think there's anything really unique about it. Yeah, and it was not unique. It was not particularly surprising. We did have three folks correctly predict the 2-1 defeat. We had Zach Landy, Mark M., and Suburban Guy. And, I mean, even up 1-0 at half, and we'll get into it. This all just felt so utterly predictable going in, and we'll break it down, but I think we we start with the lineups, and uh, Southampton's lineup, well, there's a reason they were bottom of the table, and technically still are bottom of the table after today. It's just not a very good team, Ryan. No, it's really not. Um, Look, they, they took a big risk in their recruitment this summer. They went after a bunch of young, somewhat unproven players. Uh, I like a lot of these players. I think what they did was very aggressive. And maybe they were thinking, hey, even if we go down, we'll have such a good foundation of talent, we'll be fine. About the only one in recruitment I didn't like was Chaletta Char, and he he was in the middle for them today. I just look at this lineup. I mean, who's the danger guy? It's basically Ward-Prowse. That's about it. Um, you know, the other guys are okay, but not super talented. Um yeah, Bazuno is a good example of a guy that's a super young talent, but he's been statistically the worst keeper in in the league, and he looked iffy with his hands today, too. And look, about the one thing I do like is, I mean, I do like how they kind of were moving in and out of the guys up top. I liked some of the movement. I like how he's trying to use the weapons he has, um, and it's not necessarily the easiest thing to pick up, but I mean... I mean, Levy is is probably their their best player, and he's just a kid, you know. I mean, just I mean, come on, man, look at that lineup. Does anyone scream? Oh no! Like, is anyone really concerned you're there? It's not like War Prowse is gonna be dancing around people unless you were like did something reckless and like slid or dove at him for some silly reason. <laughs> no, and cool. and I think that's, that's cool. what makes it so frustrating because you know you always hear the term like on paper, but. You know, clearly, and, and I think that's what that's that's kind of the crux of the Lampard discussion, right? Like maybe we don't have, you know, the most balanced squad or or a ton of talent across the pitch, but it's definitely more than some of the teams around us have. And, you know, against specific 11s that we haven't played well against, um, you know, Everton's lineup was essentially the same as it was against the uh, United eight days ago, except Dominic Calvert-Lewin came in for Mope. 
Um, obviously, that meant that Iwobi got a miraculous star after, you know, he was injured in the uh, United match, and we were given an initial three-week timeline for his return. Um, he played on the right, as Ryan mentioned, which we will get into, but was definitely frustrating to see. Um, notably on the bench, though, we had Mina and Ducore, who neither came off the bench during the match at all, and you kind of wonder or scratch your head what was the intention there, um, and why were they on the bench if they couldn't be involved, because it's clear that, you know, they could have had um, a big effect on the match itself. But, uh, Ryan, why don't you uh, get us into the tactical setup and how that kind of looked in the end? I mean, when you look at a team across the way, a relegation-level team in Bournemouth, you're telling me they wouldn't kill to have Mina and Decore on their team? Seriously, they're playing Ibrahim Diallo next to Lavia. I mean, that, that would be, Decore would love, I mean, he'd be a massive upgrade there. Are you, put Mina in the middle there? I, yes, I know he gets hurt. That's what everyone says. Well, he gets hurt. Fine. Play him until he dies. He said he'd die for the club, so I just want to take him at his word. Um, yeah, the tactical setup, look, we, we weren't defending in the... F- That's a terrible thing. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. It was a joke. Um, I love <laughs> That Yuri was Mina. definitely a strong one there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that was I, that was an obvious joke. Please don't repeat that. Sa- I'm sure someone will repeat that soundbite. Uh, I mean, I have to laugh at this point. It's so frustrating and upsetting. Um, we look to be defending more in a 5-4-1 today than the 5-3-2. And Gray last week was kind of dipping down a little bit to make it a 5-4-1 at times, but I do think it was a 5-3-2. It looked like at one point in the second half, we did start defending in the 5-3-2. Neither looked particularly organized, and that's part of the problem. Wobie on the right makes no sense again. I don't care if you're in a 5-4-1. I just, how, in what universe does that make sense? Uh, DCL was up top. Gano and Ana down the middle, and... You know, honestly, and we'll get into the goal. I think that'll be our example. It was tough to really understand what we were trying to do with that formation. It was almost like Frank just rolled him out there, said, this is kind of going to how you're playing, you play. I mean, the interaction between Gano and Onana, besides those guys being very good individual players and not necessarily having terrible individual matches, was strange, non-existent. They weren't really covering for each other. And it wasn't just like... um just getting used to playing with each. I mean, it's just clearly there are some issues with tactical instructions. Uh, in Southampton, we're kind of defending times in a more compact 3-4-1-2, and they were getting really compact up top and forcing us wide, which, I mean, if you looked at our team, would you not force the ball wide to Coleman and Mikalenko? Yeah, because, I mean, what are those guys going to do with it? Absolutely nothing. And, and they did. Uh, I mean, Mikalenko had one nice pass in the first half that looked pretty good, which is kind of his game. I liked that in him. But other than that, it was completely ineffective. Um, it looks like Everton attacked 48% down the right side. Gentlemen, would you have chosen to do that? I wrote, I, by the way, for the notes this week, I kept the same notes that we had from last week in several places. This is one with Manchester United. It's like the same thing over and over again. We were trying to attack down the right. Why would we do that? With Seamus Coleman, like... It, it, even though Patterson's been really ineffective, you could at least say, okay, you're maybe playing more to his strengths there if you're trying to push him forward more so than... But with Seamus Coleman there, what are you going to get out of Seamus Coleman? He's cooked. He's he's finished. Sad to say. To use him as your primary attacking outlet wide, you're just asking to lose. I mean, it's more than that. We just have no idea when we're attacking. I can't tell you how many times the saw switch the ball and, you know, it's like, oh, big switch, cool, with no one on that side. It's like you switched it to a totally isolated person. Like, are you, is your head not up? Do you not see where everyone is? And then no, and then everyone just stands and looks at it. It's like, oh, wow, the ball's over there now. 
I mean, I, I just don't know what to say about it. So, uh, yeah, that, that's part of the problem. I mean, yeah, you're attacking down that side, but it's hard to tell what's really intentional and what's not. And uh, that's where we struggled a lot. We struggled because there's it's slow in the final third. It doesn't look very scripted and rehearsed. Um, I, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's timing was off today in the air. But that being said, why do we continually hoof the ball up to them? If anything, their lineup today, Southampton, was designed to kill that. And and I think instead you needed to get out into space and expose those guys in the back line, not hoof the ball up to Dom. I, I probably would have dropped him down a little bit more, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, maybe even two up top would have been different than one. Um, look, before we get in the timeline though, let's take a real quick break here. Let's break for our sponsors and we will be right back with the timeline and the dreadful thing that was kind of looked like a soccer match. And we are back to discuss that series of events that may be construed by some as a match of football, as described by Ryan. I don't know. I mean, they picked up the early yellow on Levio, which was huge, definitely impacted him. Um, we didn't really have a ton of great chances, but we did look semi-threatening. We did get the ball forward a little bit. Um, 20th minute was really kind of the first maybe glimpse of hope at a goal for Everton Football Club. I love that run that Gray made, too. And in his defense, it is hard to go in a dead sprint, get to the ball, and make a soft touch. He took a little bit of a heavy one. He got a shot off. It wasn't great. But that was encouraging. Mika Linko with his head up. It's a nice pass inside. Um, And then, I mean, ultimately, we broke through. We had some set pieces, and there was some danger on those as well. Some shots, you know, nothing overly dangerous until that goal off the set piece. And let's be honest. I mean, it's a fantastic service by Gray and... Onana, I know we've been a little critical of his ability in the air. Um, you know, he's inconsistent clearly in it, but this was a really terrific header, was it not? Yeah, it was It was perfect, and it was obviously perfect timing for his first goal uh, for Everton, I thought. Um, you know, obviously the team was really excited, which that, uh, that came to an end pretty quickly uh, moving forward, but I found it funny that uh, that he was, you know, celebrating and then looked in the camera and he said, I am him, I am him. And uh, we saw where that, you know, we saw where that went. I saw Christian Polanco had a hilarious tweet. He said, no time for swag. We're in, the, we're in a relegation battle. And I thought that was pretty accurate, uh, especially based on how we finished. Did, yeah, someone, was... did someone ask him, who do you think you are? That's <laughs> what him. he should have said. Who do you think I am? Who, who do, do you think, think you are? are? I am. I am. That, if he'd have done that, I'd have been like, this is genius. Ahead of the curve. Finger no kind of in the air like you should there's no way he knows who. No, no, no one knows, knows what it cool is. Cup. No one knows this. That's right. Listeners will know. We'll have some listeners. I hope they do because that is one of the greatest moments in kind of a sport. <clears throat> Facts. Um, that said, we we were up, but Southampton did have a couple of I think they had two shots on target in the first half, and Pickford forced into a couple decent saves. I think probably ones he should be making, and fortunately he did make them. I mean, still look really shaky defending set pieces. Um, they had the deflected shot that got to the back post. Pickford like pins it against the post and keeps it out. That was really scary. So it was, was by no means a comfortable lead for Everton. It was very clear in the game, you know, and the stats all reflect this, a very level first half despite the fact that we were ahead at the break. I didn't like the chance we gave up to War Prowse there at the end of the first half, too. That was Cody backing up, backing up, backing up. And 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 I don't like the shape was just bad in the back too often. And you could tell that they could break through. You know, no one was in a line. The fullbacks would drop deep sometimes. Sometimes they'd be pushed up. 
the coordination on the back line wasn't great. And those guys are supposed to be good communicators. And I, I kind of wondered, it just seemed a little dubious. And I know some people were excited, but yeah, I mean, shots were seven to six. I mean, virtually even possession was pretty even a little more on their end. Um, after we took the lead, um, I, how are you guys thinking kind of going into the break? I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I thought we were fortunate that we were winning. I mean, but you know, could have gone either way, I would say, but, um, We've talked a lot about second half adjustments, and I don't. I mean, I certainly wasn't optimistic. I felt like after the goal, we uh, we had a lot of momentum. Clearly, the signs were there on you know, especially in transition phases, as you said. James Ward-Prowse had the shot pretty much to end the the first half, which was you know definitely obviously a sign of things to come. Lampard said that he went into uh, he went into the locker room at halftime and said, "I said to the players at halftime, this isn't a huge tactical game. It's more about sticking together." Yeah, I mean, the fact that a manager is coming out, and it, it, it is the classic, frankly, just lazy lazy analysis, but the kind of typical spirit, work hard type of drivel you get from a lot of managers. But to come out and say it's it's not a tactical game, given how poorly we've started and <clears throat> performed in a lot of second halves this season is, frankly, just laughable. It's It's hilarious that he would say that. I get wanting to try to, like, motivate the players, but... There's a complete breakdown almost immediately as soon as we come out on the pitch. So maybe, Frank, maybe some tactical wisdom would have behooved our our team and helped us a lot in the opening minutes of the second half because we immediately concede. Well, then what do you do as a manager? I mean, yes, you motivate people, you man-manage. I mean, they're indecisive. They're, the instructions are either poor or, or they're just, I don't think they're suddenly idiots. Um so look, the goal that Southampton comes out and scores in the first half, there's so much wrong with this. I, I just, it's really hard to get into it, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's going to make my point for me, I think. So look, it's a flicked off header. Ward Prowse takes it on the run, fake shot, Godfrey dives and he buries it. It's, it's way too easy here, but the whole issue is crazy. So we're defending in this 5-4-1. I get it. The ball swings all the way over from one side, all the way back over to the right back. You've got your banks, two banks. You got bank five, bank four. Ward-Prowse comes back, kind of tucks in behind Ghana. Ghana's almost at the bottom of the circle at this point, too. He actually starts higher in the circle. So I know a lot of people are upset with him not tracking back. But we're not man-marking here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that, that I'm sorry, I don't believe that at all. It doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, there's so much that, that goes wrong here. So, so the ball goes over Ghana's head, plays it directly into Che Adams. Fine. Ghana's up a little higher because he's got to cover Gray. Gray is going out on the back a little bit and getting him to make a decision. So Che Adams, first of all, wins a header in front of Cody. I mean, Cody makes no attempt to win this header at all. I don't understand that. Like, you're a center half, buddy. Like, you don't even bump him. You don't even make it difficult for him. I mean, it's like a training drill header. Just flick it off to the guy that's running. That's one major issue here. The other issue is, what is Tarkowski doing here? He's just staring at the ball? Does he not realize there's a target guy behind him? And look, Cody is completely passive anyway as a player in the back. So you, you've got a Tarkowski and Godfrey. You've got to be the active guys that go in and run around and make plays. So what is he doing here? He doesn't even check his shoulder and see the players there and doesn't go back to him. He's just standing there staring at him. Fine. Okay. Two major mistakes. The third major mistake. So Godfrey comes back and does what he should do. There's no one else for him to mark. It's not like the left center forward is anywhere near the play. He's not even in the box. He comes over fine. He's taking care of Ward-Prowse, no problem. What does he do? He slides. He goes to ground inside the box on a guy that's okay with the ball, but he's not like some, this is not Ronaldinho, you know, dancing around with it. 
Just stay in front of them, for heaven's sakes. Like, it's such a bad mistake. And then I would argue this. Don't argue with Ghana on this play. Ghana's in a two-man midfield. Even if they were defensive mids, the fact the ball goes over his head, the other player should be covering him. Onana should be the one that drops down behind him. Where is the understanding in the midfield? And I'm not blaming Onana for this because I saw it all match. One cent, they're central mids, they're not defensive mids. One goes to the ball. Where is the other one covering for him? That wasn't happening at all. But beyond that, you have three center backs, man. Like, seriously, what on earth? Or do they never have to make a play? They're, they have to make a play. It's really three on two, which is decent odds for offense. These are, this is not like, this isn't Holland and like De Bruyne here, for heaven's sakes. So I, I just think it's, it's, I saw it all match. Like, no one knows what they're doing. It's not prescriptive. The shape is everywhere. And I've seen this on Frank teams in the past. Like, the gap between the attack and the defense is so wide. We're so stretched out. I don't know if any team that could do this. And the worst team to have try and deal with that situation is a team with this back line. And, oh, yes, I'm glad that Yerry Mina was on the bench. By the way, if Yerry Mina is not on the bench, even if Tarkowski misses the play here, do you seriously think that Che Adams, Che Adams, who's not exactly six foot five here, gets off a free header? Heck, Absolutely not. No, Yerry goes straight over him and wins the ball probably cleanly, and Elise was active enough to be on him. I, I just this is such a disgrace right off the break, man. Yeah, immediately after we come out, it's just ridiculous. After the manager talks about, well, we just need to work harder than them, and we need to fight for the win and then we just have this complete breakdown i mean you've the whole the whole point if, if there's any point of connor cody being in this team which i don't think there really is but if there is one a rationale it would be so that you could allow your other center halves to actually go out and make plays if he's going to be the passive back last man standing in every single situation which he always is because he backs off all the time so the fact that he's backing off backing off and we don't have anyone else coming in to make plays then why why are we even playing him and why are we playing the three at the back you're supposed to have a little more freedom to to be aggressive and yet we're not seeing it and all of a sudden we southampton are level they've got a whole half to play you know momentum definitely i think swings at this point we did show some fight back but that is the big problem one of the biggest problems with frank is there's no halftime adjustment Southampton adjusts. It immediately pays dividends for them. And then we're fighting for our lives in a massive six-pointer. It's just, it's it's really hard to believe and re- even harder to stomach, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the second half was really just, uh, you know, a fight, essentially. It was sloppy, I think, on, on both sides. And, you know, to your point about the defense, too, I mean, Godfrey, in my opinion, is still, you know, very hesitant in his decision-making. You know, do I come? Do I stay? You know, who am I going to cover? Um, you know, in the 55th, he he makes a good run forward, no doubt, lays it off for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who takes a shot, which was deflected and ends up looping. And you just hoped it was going to loop into the top corner, but it was right off, you know, kind of the corner post slash bar. Um, you know, in the 70th minute, Onana swung across in um, pretty far onto the back post. And, you know, I think Bazunu got a, a fingertip on it and Godfrey comes into the back post, you know, kind of adjusts his hips to try to deflected into goal but um, he misses just to the post so we had you know we had some chances but very few and far between nothing really coherent from either side at that point obviously you know continued to see the warning shots and then in the 77th minute you know Gordon who essentially just came on had mostly no action thus far gives away a terrible free kick and uh, we know how that went for us 
Yeah, and this is like two minutes after we give him James Ward Prowse one one chance from kind of more a central area. Yep. And he, it wasn't the closest shot, but okay, you kind of luck out there. Then Gordon makes just an, a, so stupid. I won't say like the – there's like more extreme words I could use, but I'll refrain here. So stupid in maybe the best position for James Ward Prowse to take a free kick you could possibly give him. And we set up the wall. Pickford sits offset the wall, and there's a pretty open gap that you would think the wall would block. But a guy like James Ward-Prowse, you give him too many chances, he's going to convert. And he buries it. Pickford doesn't even move. He's rooted to the spot he's standing, and it all just kind of falls apart from that point forward. I mean, there's I, I, How much more can you say about what a silly mistake that was? But, you know, he was playing with a lot of spirit. Um, there, I said it. I didn't think I'd ever say it on a podcast. I thought I, but it just goes to show you too. I mean, some of these concepts of aggression and and ferocity and things like that. Some of that stuff is also fueled by just being organized and having freedom to go and play. And I'm not convinced that like some of these guys wouldn't be a lot better if they were in a little more organized and refined structure. Um, to me, this is. I, I don't think some of these guys aren't working hard, too. I, and I, I don't disagree with Frank on that. It's unbelievable how many people after the match are like, these guys aren't putting the effort in. I don't believe that they're really trying hard. Like, dude, this isn't like U10. I mean, these guys are working, I think. It's just um, sometimes you look slow because you're not organized. And this is such a bad individual decision. Um, you just should know better, I think. But and and maybe Frank did reinform them, you know, reinforce the idea that this is not the team you want to take bad fouls against because this guy's a weapon. And um, I don't blame Pickford for this too. You know, he makes a decision to play behind the wall, and he absolutely smokes one into the corner. And and you make a decision as a keeper sometimes. And you know, maybe I need to go back and watch it again. But I mean, it was in. It was just when he fouled him, I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I think most people felt that way. Again, we got we lucked out just a few minutes before, and then you give him another chance at it. And Gordon, the foul, so stupid for a number of reasons. One is just he's nowhere near even trying to make a play on the ball. It just seems like he was trying to foul him, which why you would try to foul there is ridiculous. But that was basically it. We didn't really get any other major chances after that. We kind of put our heads down and, and limp away with no points yet again. Our, again, our fourth straight home loss hasn't happened in 60 years plus. It's just a complete catastrophe and you know the stats we we did have more of the ball great we had more of the ball against the worst team in the league maybe well maybe that's us but one of the other worst teams in the league better passing more dribbles they won more aerials uh they had more shots and we didn't really convert on our corners besides you know the unana goal so it's uh all just kind of falling apart at the seams and nothing too positive to say, but despite the ca- catastrophic result, we did have some, I think, okay performances, at least a couple. Alex, you p- uh, pegged one player who certainly tried a lot um, and <laughs> did some different things at the very least and, and put up an okay stat line, but I'll let you uh, I'll let you spell it out. Yeah, I mean, clearly there are, you know, you're pretty much reaching unless you're talking about one specific player, but uh, mine was Damari Gray today. Um, you know, and I'll, and I'll say up front that this is really in this is really all relative to um, you know uh, stat lines that I've seen uh, this season alone and, and how he's performed. But he had three shots, one on target, and assist obviously from from the cross into Onana, um, one tackle, two clearances. But you know the notable things are he had three key passes. No one else on the team had more than one. Eighty-one percent pass accuracy, which you know we've talked about issues with that in the past. That's higher than usual for him for sure. 
Um, only dispossessed three times. So he wasn't perfect, but he continued to take responsibility on the pitch. He was showing for the ball. Um, you know, he's still one of the top driving forces in the team right now, whether that's good or bad for us. Um, you know, I'll let you decide. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, certain moments, the three dispossessions, especially, I think he dwelled on the ball a little bit too long, tried to get a little too cute a couple times. But and, you know, the, the, a lot of the key passes just came from the fact that he was taking all of our set pieces. But that said, I think if you're talking about overall team, he's one of the few that had maybe a better performance. But the one that I think is getting a lot of the credit and deservedly so. Um, is, of course, Amadou Onana, who appears in the good section for the second consecutive episode. He had three shots, obviously the goal, two dribbles, four for four on aerials, three interceptions, 92% pass accuracy. And in all of those stats, he was either tied or led the team in those categories. And then on top of that, he had two tackles. He was basically everywhere. And I know Ryan you know, has a counterpoint to that, but he certainly didn't shy away from the enormity of the moment that this was for Everton um, and, and was impactful even despite some of the tactical just catastrophe that we watched, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I, yeah. He was good. I mean, absolutely outstanding, really in great many ways. I, I think you can get better team performance with um, a little more organization. I think the issue was him and Ghana just, you could tell it just wasn't very well organized and that's not necessarily on them. Um, it's also tough to go, you know, from a two to a three to a two to a three. And, you know, we changed that up today. Um, yeah, yeah, he was outstanding. I picked no one else. I mean, I literally could not look at that team and said who else I thought was really good. Ella Sims was okay coming on. I mean, what an absolutely travesty of a decision that was. Like, you're going to throw Ella Sims in, what, so you can put two strikers up top and hoof it up like it's 1982? I mean, that to me is just the height of just shame you know like really that's all you can diet like you really can't do anything other than that i mean you're just you're just desperate at this point and you know i, I going into bad performances though there were many and i mean for me connor cody's the standout again and I, I just think his inclusion just limits a lot of what we can do um no tackles no interceptions not a surprise. I mean, he sits back and basically really offers nothing other than keeping other players on side. I mean, he's good at that. Um, and just, you know, part of it's the chemistry in the back now where you thought maybe that might come into play because it does seem like he's vocal and a good communicator. Um, I think it's fairly obvious now that, you know, he, he's not he's not really good enough. He certainly can't play in a two, but even in a three, I think we just he's not the right guy. And there's absolutely no justification whatsoever to have him on the pitch ahead of Mina. Not even close. Um, even his long passing, especially in the first half, he was totally off. I think he was 6 of 13 for long balls. A couple of his giveaways were really bad. And he was very much at fault on the goal, on the first goal. Yeah, and the interesting thing is his one block that he got was the play in which he was he was the one that stepped back in the back line and kept the guy on the right on for the cross to even yep. come in in the first place. So if it wasn't for him in the first place, he didn't even have to make that block. I just what I don't understand is Frank continues to play him when I think the way Frank wants to play, you can't have a guy like this playing. And that, I don't understand how he doesn't recognize that. Like, you really can't. I mean, you can't pressure the way he wants to at times up top with a guy like that in the back. There will never like he's not willing to close that space. And I think that also makes it a lot harder for for Gano Nonano to really thrive. And um, yeah, it just it just doesn't seem like a good fit. To me, I think there was some report came out that Everton can't exercise the option in January. I don't know if I believe that at all. I don't know why they still would, and I still hope they don't. Agreed. 
agreed wholeheartedly. Um, and my bad, despite only being on the pitch for a few minutes, it's none other than Anthony Gordon. Sad to say, but the foul before the free kick was criminally lazy and stupid. I will categorize it that way. And actually, in theory, I kind of like the idea of bringing him on for Seamus Coleman at a right wing back. Allows us to get forward a little bit more, offers more pace in the wide areas, which is the only place you can attack. We're attacking down the right anyway. He ended up with one dribble and one aerial, but that just for that foul alone, he ends up in the bad because it obviously cost us the game. And uh, he didn't do much else noteworthy. He did get the ball in wide areas kind of one-on-one with a few guys. And just any spark of, of promise seems to have really vanished from his game um, from what I can see over the last several months. And part of it may be the pressure. There, there's a lot of factors that could be at play. But I think the biggest one is just he's he's really not that good at this moment in time. And the fact that you know he's been relegated to a, a desperate sub off the bench I think says a lot. And even when he comes on, he's he's not impactful. We've not helped him, by the way, in terms of development. Correct. I'm convinced Rafa threw him in. Remember, we were winning under Rafa before, and he wasn't playing at all. Uh, he's not the reason why we stopped winning, of course. But um, I think the the thing is, like, I'm convinced Rafa was playing him because he's the local lad and everyone loved him. Because Rafa's whole M.O. was to try and get everyone won over. Why didn't he play Iwobi? I mean, Iwobi was literally the perfect 10 for him. Instead, he was playing Gray and Richie, guys that dwell on the ball. You know, like crazy stuff like that. Um, and so it's not have been helpful for him. I mean, frankly, he's been in over his head in this league for a long time. And um, he struggled at Preston when he was on loan. So I just don't think we've really done him any favors. And now we're trying to find a role for him. I, I don't think the wingback role is crazy. Um, he's got the industry and he's got the pace. But in the final third, he had a couple crosses today that there were nowhere near anyone. Um and that's a problem we have in the final third. My God, Dominic Calvert-Lewin missed a Wobie two and another one. I totally forgot about that play where if he doesn't try and play it straight across, lays it back, a Wobie buries it. But Gordon would get the ball. He was finally breaking through. He showed some pace. When he has space in front of him and pace he can and, and space he can exploit, he can get into it. It's the quality of the ball after that fact. And, and you know, he tends to get his head down and we just couldn't capitalize on it. Um, although I don't know if we were doing him any favors either. But, I mean, that mistake alone, though, was just so mindless and so fundamental i think it just it naturally would draw the ire of everyone and then just him making the goal you know and hitting the free kick just made it so much more i would have been mad about it anyway but what a mistake i mean like how can you how can you do that man yeah and the problem is you know the guy that he replaced it was uh not much better at all and, and that is uh my bad unfortunately seamus coleman right um Obviously, we attacked mostly on the right-hand side. Uh, he's in because Patterson's out for you know probably another m- about month or so. 24 passes with a 58% pass accuracy, only higher than Gordon, who had 50%, by the way. He had five bad touches. He was one for three in crosses, zero for two long balls, zero key passes, zero tackles, two interceptions, two clearances, one block. Um, you know, It seems like Lampard is kind of opting for experience there instead of as we've kind of talked about, right? Maybe the McNeil slash Gordon, um, you know, wingback pairing on either side, really. But it comes down to the fact that really, you know, Coleman's not offering us much of anything these days. Unfortunately, he does not have, you know, the pace um, to be able to get up and down the pitch effectively. You know, again, Godfrey's got, you know, Godfrey's got a lot of pace on that side at right center back, which, you know, you would hope he covers. And and he did deal with that situation um, sometimes today pretty well in regards to when Coleman was kind of caught up the pitch and they tried to run down that flank. But um, the problem is, you know, Godfrey is still not perfect and you have Cody behind him. So 
all of that is to say it is it is definitely not an understatement. We need a solution at at right wing back if we're going to stick with this you know with this formation or setup. Even a regular right back, I don't know what you do there. I mean, it's yeah. almost to the point you need to bring someone in at that position, which is crazy if you think about it. Um, I, I you know one way to look at this though too, and to just kind of summarize everything. There were two really bad mistakes today, you know, and they culminated in goals. But but again, it just seems like there were other ones that weren't punished. And you start to ask the question, you know, is that the individuals just making so many bad mistakes or why are they making the mistakes? And and I just and so so like to go to like the summary comments, I think the first one from North Cal Toffee's really asked that question. Right. And it's, and it's kind of neither the players nor the coach seem to be premier league level quality even if we sack frank the board can't be trusted to hire a competent replacement relegation seems inevitable these are dark times so i do believe i do believe that a uh, strong tactical manager can make some use of some of these players and and do okay i even think they could get a safe i mean i see a functional midfield for sure in that group um i'm not sure about the center halves but um, certainly if Mina can play, I mean, he's an automatic upgrade. And I think you've got a couple players in there from an attacking standpoint that may create some chances with an augmented squad. I think you could be okay, but I'm convinced. I mean, if, if this board could, all they could produce is Perea, Duncan Ferguson and Lampard last time. I mean, if they look Dice like it said, is then, well, I mean, right. I mean, how is that lot? Like it's, let's see, uh, is there an English coach that coached a team anywhere around us that we've ever heard of? Oh, he's it. Like that's your thought process, man. Come on, man. Yeah, it's it's really kind of chicken and egg at this point. But I think it, what's not up for dispute is that Frank has shown time and time again that he doesn't get the best out of this, these players. He makes naive tactical decisions and he doesn't organize the squad well at all. Um, and, and for the, those reasons and just the overall record, I mean, twenty losses in thirty-seven games, just nowhere near good enough. We then had uh, Nebula nineteen seventy-nine, always provides thoughtful insight and he said gradually shifted into exactly the way we should not have played with predictable results high retreating line midfield emptied by aggressive press horribly vulnerable in transition pushed up ineffective wing backs late aameless subs no plan b not survivable for frank i mean that's anything arguable in there i I mean i I think that's i've been seeing that for a long time i think that i think nev has a spot on i mean yeah it's bad enough that we had to recall Ellis Sims, and now he's like our solution to late-game problems when we're trailing games. I mean, it's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So you had a summer. The recruitment seems almost shared between – I mean, it's not like that was a real director of football. So he's not telling Frank what to do. So Frank clearly has significant influence here. So these are guys that he approved. And, I mean, guys have actually been okay in this league. So who do you have on the bench? Guys you brought in. So McNeil can't play? Be- I mean, you thought it was cool to spend the money on him, too? I mean, the coach clearly bought into something from this player. Played him at wingback last week. We needed a goal. So I mean, and then you've got a guy like like the moped, and you, Ellis Sims, you think is the answer ahead of him? And, okay, maybe maybe he thinks it, it's tactical, or I, I don't know what it is, but, like, you agreed on that, and this is a guy that has scored goals. And, and in this case, we actually had the ball, you know? I don't know. I mean, I didn't see us even hoofing the ball up for for target striker at that point either. So, like, what was the game plan at that point? Like, was there a game plan at one point? I I don't. I really couldn't tell what the game plan was there at the end. Like, you bring in L. Sims to do what? Cross and pray. And but, and, but you did know, we that... even do that though? I mean, we kind of did. No, that, no, but we no. Didn't really... Well, we weren't we weren't effective and we were trying to, I think. But you know, it didn't really work out. And that brings us to you know our last listener comment from S. C. Canuck. 
At this point, I don't understand how anyone could defend Frank. Yes, the players are bad, but is there a single game where you said, in quotes, that was a good setup and tactical plan? Maybe the Man City draw? Um, and I don't. I think that we got lucky there. City wasn't clicking that day, which is definitely 100% a fact. Um, and that, that, that essentially just outlines your point above, Ryan. Palace. I think I think he came in in the second half Fair in Palace enough. and made a couple yep. adjustments, especially the way he was using Alex Iwobi that was very helpful. Ironically, he hasn't gone back to that since. I mean, actually, that is the only time that he's moved Iwobi and started to sneak him central since the Southampton match. Quite ironically, he had not, the, I, you know, I hate assists, but like he actually created some chances then. Um, you just saw it at one point. He, Iwobi passed it almost all the way back to Pickford from the right side because he couldn't go anywhere. I mean, it just, how do you not see? It's just so disappointing. It's just so disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it, it encapsulates the season best when Man City, questionably our best tactical performance, maybe got the doors blown off us on XG and we were rescued by a miracle goal. And you could say, OK, the you know, going to the five at the back in that match was probably the right decision, but it still just highlights the woeful lack of quality in the existing squad. They're not organized. I mean, I don't care what system you're playing, man. They're not organized. They can't even stay in the line. Their spacing's bad. They make bad decisions. Um you know, I, I just, um, yeah, unfortunately, it just uh, doesn't look like they're either not responding to Frank or Frank's in over his head. I, I don't know. Um, so what do we think about, I mean, Frank himself, can he survive this? And what did you guys think of the quotes? Alex hit the one before. I said to the players at halftime, this isn't a huge tactical game. It's more about sticking together, which I, I just, I can't, like, if that was ever said, I'm convinced in like, imagine if a manager said that in like Germany, actually, no, Germany, maybe Spain, Italy. I mean, I don't know if they'd be able to get out of the car park. I mean, you know, like, what? I just so blasphemy. Portugal, like, you can't, like, what are you talking about, man? What, it's, it's, it's not a huge tactical game. It's always a tactical game. I mean, I, do people believe that stuff? And then, and then at the end he says, I know I'm not a miracle worker. I know I'm not the best coach in the world, but I know I will work as hard as I can to be as good as I can be. And I believe that. I believe Frank's working hard. I believe the team's working hard. But um, it normally takes a little more than that, right? I mean, this isn't like, you know, this is the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, look, Frank, the look on his face towards the end of the match, but right right when the full-time whistle Pretty rough. blew, um, you know, he gave out handshakes, but like, I would go as far as to say he was close to on the verge of tears. Um, I think he knows, you know, his time is up. I don't think that there's really any way out of it, you know, I uh, I subscribe to I subscribe to uh, sack Frank and sack the board and sack the owner probably, um, you know those two things don't have to, you know we don't have to go one or the other on those either and and I fully believe that there's another manager that can get more out of the players that we have as you're saying Ryan I mean it's very simple um, you know we we have an unbalanced squad we don't have talent where we need it um, in a lot of areas but at the same time that we have enough in order to stay up in my opinion. Even if, you know, form has dipped and, and you know, maybe we have some unhappy characters in the dressing room, you know, as a complete speculative point. Yeah, and I think we've seen that in the last couple of matches, you know, like you looked at the Wolves match and they've strengthened. But, I mean, we were, in essence, the better side there and we weren't organized, you know. So what would we look like with the little stronger tactical game plan, you know? Um, I, I think one of the problems is here, we've turned this team, this team is very decidedly English at this point. And so I think it'd be hard for like a foreign manager necessarily to come in. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. I just, I think we've really turned and, and had a very strong directional shift 
And I, I think it's, it is going to be tougher to get out of that. Like, it's not just as simple as bringing in Unai Emery or, or, you know, like for me, I look at the free agent managers. There are a lot of good managers out there. There's like, I think Halesy said, um, Marcelino, who is, who's a really strong defensive manager. I like Jose Bordelas. I think both those guys kind of play four, four, two, but I like the way they play it. It's very structured. I think it could be effective. Um, I don't know. I just, and, and again, it goes, I mean, are they going to pick the right guy anyway? Those, does the board even know who those people are? Yeah. It, and that's what it comes back to. And it goes to, to NorCal Toffee's comment, like, okay, you sack Frank and then you're still having the people who are, are ultimately responsible for the last decades of decline, making the call on the replacement. I mean, it, it's just a complete, complete joke. Um, but in terms of Frank's comments, I mean, he's, he's say, basically saying, he's you know, saying you're not a miracle worker. Well, you don't need a miracle worker to fix this problem and even alluding or like joking or using hyperbole to say that we're going to need a miracle to save us at this point of the season. It sounds like he's uh, certainly not. Uh, let's just say Everton have beaten him down. He looks a defeated character post-match, as Alex said. And, uh, you know, you don't need a miracle worker. You just need a guy to get this squad to perform slightly better than what they're maybe normally capable of. And a good manager, that's exactly what a good manager does. It's exactly what Car- Carlo Ancelotti did. You get more out of the squad than you think, you know, the, the collective is more than the sum of its parts. And that's what we really need at this point. We don't need a firefighter to come in and have us play hoofball and just try Nor to do we have points. the people to do that. Like, uh, James, that's no. such a good point. Like, it's not, this comp- team composition is not a firefighter hoofball team. And the frustrating thing, too, is the fact that how many times this season have we said the squad is dealing with a lot of injuries? You know, one one player comes back, you know, Dominic Cavalooney's out immediately. Yuri Mina, same thing, you know, Ben Godfrey dropping right at the beginning of the season. But the problem is he's had these players back. He's had a lot of options. You know, he's leaving guys like Yuri Mina and Abdullah Decore on the bench, um, not utilizing them at all still playing players in different positions that we thought maybe he could get clearer role for some of them, especially like Awobi with these guys back. And he's not making the right decisions, I think. It's clear on the pitch too. And the problem, really, a, a huge problem too, is every day our situation worsens and it makes it that much harder to get guys to sign up to come here this month. I mean, you, you don't know you don't know where, where the club's going in regards to the manager. You don't know what the board's doing after their disastrous PR this week. Players are clearly unhappy in general, and and you know after after a performance like that, how can you get excited to play with the majority of those guys? I, I don't know. I don't know. And and the problem is, you need a caliber of player that is going to lift us to the point where maybe they're looking at literally a club like Bournemouth and think they could be more successful right now. Yeah, and I mean just the board and all the mess that's going on right now. It's tough to see direction now. Again, Farhad could very quickly stand up and say, "Hey, Frank, you're out." Kevin Thelwell, who hopefully has had options, he's our head of football. He's the person that we're going to lean on. He's going to make the decision, and a lot would change. It may be too late to resurrect this season. I don't think that's true if they brought the right person in. It would, I mean, that that to me is the ultimate PR move, too, because now you've also, in, in many ways, cut out the board or just said we collectively as a board will support the football side of the house. I mean, you got to be pretty toned to have to not to realize that that at least would be a massive step in the right direction. And the board should be accommodating to that, too, because ultimately they need to rely on the football side to make the proper footballing decisions. Because right now, whatever you think of the board, whatever you think of the ownership, we need good football decisions right now. We still got some time in this window to bring some talent in. Uh, I think it would be very foolish to bring it in for and we're looking at loans, which are normally short term in nature. You've got to match that up with with the manager and the manager needs. 
And on that, folks, I think it's a great place to wrap things up on this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Just one last call to action. Please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Everton suck, but hopefully you find that this podcast does not. Uh, follow us on social media at USA Toffee Pod. You can find all of the links in the description, including to our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. Last but not least, sack the board and up the toffees.